hope you'll forgive me for sitting down today and possibly for the next two, three, four weeks there will be a day when I throw them away. I thought it was appropriate when somebody comes on crutches, which is not unique by any means, to talk about common clay pots. Paul writes, after he's extolled the majesty of the gospel, but we have this treasure in clay pots so that it's clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. It's hardly surprising, is it, that plastic bottles and black bin bags and tin cans are so much popular today than clay pots. I mean, goodness me, what silly stuff. It weighs a ton. It's so breakable. It cracks so easy. I remember that beautiful pot I bought, brought back for Helen, bought at a market in Freetown. I'm sure he ripped me off, but there I was. I brought it, put it in my hand luggage, and by the time I hit Heathrow, it was in 23 pieces. But you see, God loves common clay pots. You see, he made the clay. I know he made everything, but he made the clay at the beginning of time when the world was new. First of all, it was just dirt, but he spit into the dirt and like a potter made something of the clay. Remember Genesis? And out of that came a human. And he breathed life into it so that it ceased to be an it and became, in the words of Genesis, a living soul. So God made the very first clay pots and I guess that's why he loves them so much. Because even in that Genesis account, he sits back on the end of the sixth day and says, that's good. Our eldest son, Ben, did pottery at school and then ceramics at university. Got to confess, we went through quite a number of years of thinking he did it just to get out of doing any real work. But uh, he now works as a ceramics teacher in a sixth form college. And since the BBC programme about pottery has come on, he's got a queue of adults that wants evening classes on how to throw a pot. He can make a lot better things now than he did when he was in the sixth form. But do you think we've thrown his early efforts away? Because what you make at the first is always precious. And God loves clay pots. Not only that, God loves quite clearly from the reading of 2 Corinthians, God loves cracked and broken pots. As he writes this passage, Paul is suffering probably physically, most certainly mentally and emotionally. 
Physically, he's going to go on later in this book to talk about a thorn in the flesh, which most people see as a dogged condition. For a long time, scholars thought it was probably epilepsy. And it's not been rectified by fervent prayer, and it gives rise to that passage right at the end or near the end of this powerful book. Three times I sought the Lord, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. More painful still at this point in the letter, some people are saying that because of this suffering or this deformity, another, another common thinking about his thorn in the flesh was that he had a hunchback or a bent spine. Some people are saying that because of what he looks like or because of his physical weakness, his ministry is to be despised and rejected. I mean, how can God use and how can the gospel of Christ be right in a person that is so weak and fragile and looks like this? Our suffering is not automatically connected to sin or faithlessness, but that's what the opponents of Paul were saying. In one sense, the times of strain and suffering in our lives are the very means of our strengthening of faith and our renewal. Growth in discipleship takes place in common cracked clay pots. Weakness and suffering and disability do not mean a person is non-anointed or that their ministry is somehow below par because our very ministry, whatever it is, what yours is, what mine is, is derived from and inspired by a suffering Lord Jesus. Discipleship is not about having no pain, no deprivation, no dangers, no operations, no conditions. It's about how you deal and respond to those things. It's like Martin Niemöller in a concentration camp near the end of World War II said, I cannot stop what is being done to me, but the one thing no one can take from me is my choice of how I will respond to what is being done to me. So we know about healing, we believe in it, but we need to be careful about the teaching of healing that moves automatically to what we might call perfectionist mode. The mode where we look at all the adverts on TV where the models and supermodels strut around and all teeth are shining and even and everybody's body is blemish free and marvelous. And we mustn't move into the way of thinking that healing equals that. Let's just think of today an even deeper truth that Paul talks about in this passage. The more wonderful gospel truth. The treasure of Christ is found in cracked clay pots like you and me. People come into our midst, we're right here this morning, and a lot of them God alone knows. 
with our addictions and our terminal diseases and our breakdowns. We meet in crutches and wheelchairs and all sorts of other things that you can't see on the outside. And at one level, we look as a church more broken and more fragile and more pathetic when such folk are in our midst. But at a deeper level, we're actually more whole and more complete. It's not until we become the company of the healthy and the physically and mentally cracked up, the broken ones, the common clay pots, that we actually become more truly the church of Christ. Because his body is a broken body. It has spear marks and thorns and splinters. It has the signs of mental agony and anxiety because even in his resurrection power, Jesus is known by the scars. A woman had undergone surgery for a lump in her mouth and she was recovering from surgery and her husband was with her when the surgeon came in to visit. And he said to the woman, I'm sorry to tell you that the lump we've removed was cancerous. But I'm confident that we've got it all and we've taken it away. But the result is that although we can do some remedial surgery, your face is likely to be paralyzed and a little disfigured for the rest of your life. And as this news breaks, the husband's put his arm round his wife and the doctor says he'll be back soon and there'll be opportunities to ask any questions and he takes his leave of the room. But as he turns round to shut the door behind him, he sees the man lean over and kiss his wife on her misshapen mouth. Now that's what Christ does. He takes our shape, our misshape, and he kisses life into twisted, frail, broken people like you and me. We're not made perfect like the supermodel, but we are made whole. Treasure in common clay pots. So this, with all its grandeur, and us with all our acting, is the place of the fragile, cracked, broken clay pot people. And if that includes you, then you're very welcome. And if you think it doesn't include you, can I suggest you're fooling yourself? God loves cracked and broken pots. We have this treasure, said Paul, in clay pots so that it can be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. God loves clay pots. God loves cracked clay pots. And thirdly, Cracked and broken clay pots are often the kind that serve and witness to God the best of all. I was talking to a local preacher who had developed multiple sclerosis. And she said, when I was okay, 
I got the impression as I preached that no one listens. Now I wheel my chair up to the lectern and everybody hangs on every word. You see, cracked pots can't keep the treasure inside. It leaks out through the cracks. It's possible for complete sealed clay pots to contain a treasure that no one quite knows what it looks like or what it is. But that's not possible for cracked clay pots. You see what's inside. It's clear for all to see. It leaks all over the place. Some aspects of God's renewal are a bit like taking a drink from a fire hose. You get a lot on you, but not a great deal in you. But being a cracked clay pot is more about the drip, drip, drip of precious ointment coming in and the constant gentle leaking out. Us, little us, old and young, creaking, broken, cracked, but filled with God's gospel treasure and therefore somehow wonderfully made whole. Look at the couplets from Paul. We are afflicted but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down but we are not destroyed. Paul is cracked but he hasn't cracked up. He's a cracked pot but he ain't no crackpot. Notice that some of Paul's couplets are physical and some are not. The point here as we read Paul in 2 Corinthians is not as we listen to this list that we admire the unquenchability of human spirit under adversity, but that we give the credit for God who is able to sustain through every circumstance. The couplets were the traditional Hellenist, that's Greek, rhetoric device. It's what preachers did. And whereby preachers in those days outlined trials to be undergone and urged the need for courage as they were faced, Paul, by contrast, uses this rhetoric device with a different application. He says it's all about the glory of God. Paul's hardships proclaim the power of God in human fragility. You see, what you see is more important than what you hear very often. That's why uh, a crude image, but hold on to it, that's why when you're in hospital, they put the curtains around you rather than give everybody else earplugs. Because what you see is very often more important than what you hear. Make no mistake, the witnesses and evangelists and effective disciples today in 2017 are not the silky-suited, smooth-talking, smiling perfectionists. They're going to be the common cracked clay pot people. Mahatma Gandhi once said to Christian missionaries in India, you try so hard at it. 
Just remember that the rose never invites anyone to smell it. If it's fragrant, people will walk across the garden and endure the thorns to smell it. And perhaps as we listen to Paul this morning, we catch the breath of another image of a suffering servant. Because the dying and rising theme of Jesus, which is why I'm preaching this peculiar sermon in Eastertide, the dying and the rising of Jesus rings through this passage like a bell. We hold, says cracked Paul, the death and the suffering of Jesus in our bodies so that the risen life of Jesus can be seen in us. And that's our hope. I must end. It's been a long service today. We've had wonderful things like baptisms and celebrations of new life. In recent excavations in the Middle East, they discovered some clay pots. Some were intact after 2,000 years. Many were cracked and broken, dating back to around the time of Christ, about the time of the Dead Sea Scrolls. In the intact pots, when they opened one or two of them just to see, they found an ointment fragrance miraculously preserved just as it was nearly 2,000 years ago. And they removed all the intact clay pots from the cave first. And then they noticed that the smell remained in the cave even though they'd removed all the intact vessels. And they came to see that it was the shards of the broken pots that after hundreds of years, with no visible sign of any precious ointment left at all, had taken the fragrance into their very being. The fragrance was not in the pot. It was the pot. So we've got a response this morning as Gerard begins to play. We're going to sing two songs, Spirit of the Living God and then our final hymn. And I'll say the blessing. We have along the front of the uh, church dais here, lots and lots of clay pots. They're different shapes. Some are sharp, some are small, some are large. They were once whole. And if you know your life, but you want to give that broken life afresh to Christ, then during the singing of these two hymns, this prayer chorus and the hymn, feel free to just walk forward and take a piece of broken pot. Some people like guidance as to what to say if you're going to say anything. I'd suggest something like this. I'm broken, Lord, but I am yours. And if you listen very carefully, 
you might hear a voice that says, I'm broken too on a cross and I'm yours. Amen.